0: Talked about this in community time, um, and I'll set it up like this. There are some there are some instances in our lives that we don't really want to walk through, but you just kind of have no choice in walking through them. For example, when when you're just sitting in your rocking chair reading your Bible in the morning, and you hear your toddler cry out, "Change a poopy diaper." Well, then you go and and then you when you walk in, you see him displaying said poopy diaper. You don't just say, "You know what?" I've got some things I gotta take care of. So let me just go. No, you have to deal with it right then. And you just hope it's contained in one spot, right? You might say that's gross, guys. I have a toddler and a six-month-old. Like that's just my world right now. It 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 just is. So so sometimes you just walk into things and you ain't got no, you ain't got no choice. You just kind of deal with it. On the other hand, sometimes we kind of do have a choice. Of, of things that we choose to walk through. And sometimes we go into those things and we get into it. And then on the other side of it, we're like, man, why in the world did I do that to myself? And, and for me, um, and some of you guys I've shared this with already, this is me every time I eat barbecue. I love barbecue. I think it's awesome. I'm so glad I'm a Gentile. Like, like if you if you don't know what I mean, Gentiles can eat pork. Jews don't eat pork. Um, but I'm so glad I'm a Gentile. I, lo- I love barbecue. It's awesome. It's glorious. I love it when it's got like a little bit of spiciness to it and that sort of thing. The problem for me over the last three or four years is I've learned barbecue doesn't love me. It just has effects on me that just, it's just sad, I get heartburn, I get sour stomach. And then I'm like, I just, and, and so I guess it's a blessing my wife doesn't like pork anyway. So, it, so you know, but sometimes we go through those things and we kind of have a choice in what we deal with. Sometimes we don't have a choice. But I want to think about that for a second. Like, under what situations what, might we actually intentionally step into a situation that, that, that's kind of optional? Like, what might actually motivate us to get into something that that we actually don't naturally kind of want to do, but we do it anyway? And I would say there's kind of three instances. Um... One is just is just very simply love in in a broad standpoint, love like 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 the primary reason I deal with my toddler's messes is because I love my toddler and I don't want him to just sit in it like 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 he needs to be cleaned up and I love my kid and so I you know get my hands you know deep in the mess and just clean it up and that sort of thing. Love will motivate motivate us to do those things. Um, sometimes hope. Who will motivate us to do things. That's why, you know, if some of you guys have had this experience, or maybe if you're a teenage guy, you do have this experience. Like, like you keep asking the girl out, right? And you keep asking the girl out. And you've asked her like 10 times and you just need to know she's probably not that into you. Like, just, just let it go. There are the, you know, as my dad used to tell me, there are more fish in the sea, and that's not calling girls fish, it's just an expression. Um, I feel like you have to qualify that in this generation because everything is so sensitive and personal and that sort of thing. But sometimes hope keeps us doing things, and um, sometimes just in this perpetual belief that things can be better, and, and that just, if you're, how many North Carolina State fans in here? Suffering with me. Like this perpetual belief that we can be better. And, and so that just kind of makes us hopeful. Although I'll just be honest, being ranked number 13 preseason football doesn't make me hopeful at all. It actually makes me kind of nervous. <laughs> because we've never handled this well. Right, We we just don't, but we always hope it can be better. And so in those certain situations, um, when we're motivated by love, we're motivated by hope, and we kind of believe things actually can be better, we'll actually step into things that that, that maybe we normally wouldn't do. And, and, And to close out our series this summer on love, this is actually where Paul lands the plane. I'm just going to read the whole bit of it here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through the first part of verse 8 says, Love is patient, it's kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts things, watch this, it always hopes, It always perseveres. Love never fails. So so, so the last three parts of love that Paul defines here, what does love do? It it, it always hopes. What does that mean? Man, it believes the best. It believes the best. It believes that the best is yet to come. It believes that no matter what is going on, no matter what the situation is, man, God can work in that situation and bring good out of it. He says that love always perseveres. What does that mean? It, It means love keeps on going. It keeps on going. It understands, man, things may not be ideal right now. Things may not be where I want them to be right now. Things may not be perfect right now. But I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep loving because love always perseveres. And then it says love never fails. What that means is simply this. Love survives everything. Real, true, biblical love. It survives everything. There's nothing that can kill it. There's nothing that can make it die off. It really does last through everything. This is the way Jesus loved us. This is the way we're called to love other people. But on that note, I want to ask us this morning, uh, in a very, very serious way, man, do we have that kind of tenacious, hope-filled, persevering love that survives everything? Do we have that towards people who maybe don't know Jesus? Do, Do we really, really have that? Because if I can just be honest this morning, over the last two and a half years, man, that's waned in me. That has suffered in me. And 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 there can be maybe a whole bunch of excuses. You can maybe blame COVID because COVID put us in this season where, like, it was kind of hard to have a gospel conversation with someone or invite somebody to church because, first off, nobody wanted to gather in big groups anyway. And second off, everybody thought everybody else was diseased, so it was like, stay away from me, right? And so it's like, it's kind of hard for me to you know, and give you a card to invite you to church when maybe it's like, I'm not really sure if you want me to actually touch you anyway and you might not want something I've touched because maybe I've got the boogeyman, I don't know. And so, and so it was just this really, really interesting season. You can maybe blame that and say, well, man, maybe just our, our muscle which reaches out towards people has, in, in my heart, man, maybe it's just, maybe it's just gotten sore. Or maybe you could blame all the division we've had over the last few years, whether it's been about race or politics or masks or vaccines or, or, or whatever it is. Man, maybe you could say that, that the division has just made us skeptical of people and cynical of people and very, very suspicious of people to where we're like, well, man, I'm not even sure if this won't like trigger them or offend them, so, so maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's just better for me to, to retreat into myself, into my comfort zone. Or maybe, just maybe, with all the other things that are going on in culture, especially if you're a Christian. By the way, if you're here, you're not a Christian yet, you've yet to give your life to Christ, man, I'm excited that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. What you need to know is, man, we started this church for you. We started this church for you. Because we had a mission to reach people that did not know Jesus, to give them opportunities to follow Jesus. We are here because, man, we wanted you here. But so often over the last, especially maybe year, just with different things in culture going on, I'll just be honest, as a Christian, sometimes it's just easier to default to being very frustrated with, with people that don't know Christ and get very agitated and even get very, very angry at them as opposed to letting God break our heart for them and realizing, no, man, these, these are people who, love, who, who need Jesus. If I can just be honest, man, so much of that has waned in me over the last couple years. And as I was even working through this message, man, God just convicted the mess out of me. That, man, I, I, I may love my wife and my kids in a way that always hopes and always perseveres and never fails. And I may love the Lord in that way. But, man, do I really love the Lord in that way because... In order to really love the Lord that way, man, you've got to love people that way. And the greatest way we demonstrate that love to people is especially people who don't yet know Christ. Because the love of God is meant to move us in that direction. In fact, that leads us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here. And we're going to start with the first part of 11. Paul writes, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. Watch this. We try to persuade others. And then he moves to verse 14 and says, watch this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. In other words, the very simple way to put it is this, the greatest way to love someone is to give them opportunities to follow Jesus. In fact, I would even argue that, man, until we've given somebody an opportunity to follow Jesus, whether that means we have a gospel conversation with them, whether that means we invite them to church in some way, shape, or form, until we've extended an opportunity, man, we're not actually yet really, truly loving people. We can serve them super well. We can be kind to them. We can be nice to them. But the greatest kindness and the greatest love we will ever show to somebody is, man, we give them an opportunity to follow Jesus. And that's why we exist as a church. You'll hear this every single Sunday. We exist to give everyone opportunities to follow Jesus and become a disciple maker who lives for God and loves all people and leads others to do the same. But the question I have almost six years in is like, man, do do, do we really actually buy that? Do we really actually live that? Or have we kind of become, since so often churches take on the characteristics of their pastor? have we just kind of become kind of okay playing church? Have we been content just, just to gather and just to bring people into a building and sing some songs and listen to some maybe halfway decent preaching? It's a lot better when I'm not up here, I think. But um, have we been content with doing those things, with having our kids and life kids, or our teens, and in, in, in encounter? And those are great things. Those are not bad things. But have we been content to do that and our heart is starting to become cold and maybe even indifferent to those outside the walls. Do we keep inviting? Do we keep loving? Do we keep sharing the gospel? Man, even when it's difficult. Because that's our calling as Christians. Paul goes on to say this in verse 15. He says, And he died for all, Christ died for all, watch this, That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose from the the dead. Guys, sometimes I think even in church world, even as Christians, we can tend to forget that, man, the church doesn't exist for us. We're the church and we exist for the world. You know why? Because we exist for the glory of God. And the thing that brings God the greatest glory is when people far from him come to know Him, they repent of their sin, they give their life to Christ, and He changes them. In fact, as I look over this room, I can see person after person who at some point, man, somebody invited you here, somebody brought you here, and God changed your life. And that glorified God. Guys, that's why we exist. We exist for God's glory. It is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is about God. What gives God glory it's when His people honor Him, and the greatest way we can honor Him is invite people to come to know Him. Because at the end of the day, in, all, in eternity, two things will matter. One is whether or not you know Christ. The second is how did you do help other people meet Him? And so in light of that, verse 16, Paul goes on to say this. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What that means is this. When I see somebody and just their manner of life irritates me, the way they act irritates me, and that sort of thing, I can't just look at, well, this is kind of an annoying person. And we all know annoying people, right? Right? If you're like, I don't know anybody annoying, you might be the annoying person person. Somebody else knows, I don't know. So maybe you should ask other people, man, how do I annoy you? Because I think I might. But we don't just view people from this, from, this, from this natural worldly perspective. We understand there's a greater spiritual reality at hand. And this is not popular. And You'll even end up in churches where, where this is kind of disregarded. But biblically reality is this. You will exist forever, Forever's a long time, y'all, and every single person will exist in one of two places. You'll either spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven, or you'll spend eternity separated from God, suffering forever, in a place called hell. That's not popular, it's not politically correct. I don't know if it'll get us banned on YouTube. I don't really know, but guys, it is the truth. And so when we look at people, we like I remember a guy named David Nelms, he runs the Timothy Initiative. We invest in the Timothy Initiative, they're awesome people. He said, You should look at every single person you come across and just assume there's a large L on their ha- head that stands are lost. And then we need to understand if they're lost that unless something happens in their life unless they come to know Christ unless he opens their eyes to the reality of their sin the need for a gospel reality is this they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell and God did not bring them across our path so we could just be like yeah whatever no big deal no he brought them across our path so that you as a Christian so that I as a Christian could bring light into darkness and give them an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And when you understand that from that perspective, guess what? It doesn't matter how they might respond to you and I. Because isn't that the problem so often? I know that's a problem for me. I'm like, "Oh, I don't really know if I want to do this cuz they might think I'm an idiot." After all, my wife already called me has said that I'm the, the the cutest dork that she knows. So I already know I have that about me. And like, if you're like this guy's kind of awkward, I know I can't help it. It just is what it is. So I already have that. I'm already aware of that. I'm like, I'm not exactly like the most socially like awesome person. And so, like, if I do this, they're gonna think like this guy is balding and he's a moron. Let's just be honest, we we fear what people think about us. But, guys, when we start to understand that, no, that this is like life and death, all of a sudden we stop thinking about what while they think about us. For example, um, how many of y'all have ever had kids? Ever had kids? So you've had toddlers. How many of y'all know that toddlers will pick up anything? And they will find a way to find the most dangerous things in the house. It doesn't matter where you put them. And so one time, I'm doing something in the kitchen I'm maybe cleaning up, and I hear Casey, and I turn around. He's got the Clorox like, color-safe sanitizer with the bottle cap on, mind you, but he's got it in his mouth. And I'm like, no! And I grab it, and I'll just be honest, I spanked him. You know why? Because I wanted to remember, that's not good. Some of you might be like, I don't think you should spank. Well, I just reacted. You know why? In that moment, I didn't care. Because he had this thing that he was holding on to that was deadly. And it's like, if he pops that cap off, and I'm not sure that there's not the little crusties around the side of it anyway, like, like that's not good. It's not good. And so nothing else mattered in that moment other than the fact that I just want to keep my son safe. Guys, that's how we need to approach people. Man, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how they respond to you. It doesn't matter how they react to you. Literally, the only thing that matters in the broad scheme of things is they'll spend eternity somewhere. They'll spend eternity somewhere. And the most unloving thing we can ever do is say, well, I'm insecure. I'm unsure what they'll think about me, so I'm just going to be quiet. Because, guys, we've got the answer, and that's our mission. We have the answer. Paul writes this in verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. If anybody's in Christ, our job is to lead people to a place to where they have an opportunity to step into a relationship with Christ. And then he says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then, watch this, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And an ambassador, guys, an ambassador is not concerned with his mission or his goals. An ambassador is very simply concerned with what has the king said and how do I carry out what the king wants. The King has told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what my concern is supposed to be? It's exactly that. We are there for Christ's ambassadors. Watch this, guys. This is so incredible. As though God were making His appeal through us. Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, the way God wants to reach somebody is through you? teenagers have you thought that maybe just maybe the way God wants to reach your school is through you that he has you in the school you're in for the season that you're in to put you in front of people who the only way that he knows in his sovereign wisdom that they will ever come to know Christ is you interact with them and God is making his appeal to them through you the appeal is this that God made him the appeal is this we implore you on Christ's behalf Be reconciled to God because God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he says, as God's co-workers, God's co-workers, it's so interesting to me that like, and I don't fully understand it, even as a pastor, that Jesus came to earth, lived, died, left to go to heaven and said, hey, you guys as a church, y'all go reach the world. If you're a Christian, guys, that should blow your ever-loving mind that the God of the universe said, hey, I want you in my family, and now I want you as a co-worker with me, as a partner with me to go and reach people that are far from God but close to you and invite them to come to know me. like Guys, that, that should blow your mind. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you in the day of salvation. I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Two points I want to make there. First off, if you're a Christian, guys, the time is now to go and reach people. The time is now. And I know it can be so easy to kick the can and kick the can and kick the can and be like, well, I'll wait, I'll wait. No, the time is now. But second off, I'll say this, if you're here and you've never repented of your sin, you've never understood that, man, apart from Jesus Christ, your eternity is lost. If you're here and you've tried to work your way back to God and tried to, in your own efforts to please God, listen, the only way back to God is through Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection. If you've never given your life to Christ, God's word to you is, man, today is the day of salvation. Don't think about it anymore. Don't kick the can. You don't need to research it. God is saying, no, today, now is the day of salvation. There's an urgency there on both ends, guys. And in so many ways, as we get close to our sixth birthday as a church, we need to recapture that sense of urgency. And I think one of the biggest things that needs to happen is, uh, in us is we just need to allow God to break our heart for lost people again and to, and to put back in us well, what I would just call the heart of a church plant. Because here's what happens when you start a church. Man, you don't have any option other than to reach people. Me and Mark just sitting in a Burger King, you know, we just kind of just first had this idea seven or so years ago. We didn't have an option to not reach people. Cause I mean, I mean, I mean, Mark is great, but I mean, I mean, just sitting with him in a Burger King all the time, I mean, you know, I mean, there get to be diminishing returns. There's only so much you can talk about, right? Then there's only so many things you can eat off a Burger King's menu. I mean, we could have switched to Chick Fil A, I suppose. Maybe that'd been okay, but, but no. When you when when you're first starting off, guess what? You don't have an option to not reach people. But man, so often you start getting older as a church. You go through some crises. You go through some different things. You go through what we went through last November where, where we honestly just started real, running really low on money and we weren't, weren't like, at least for me, like there was just a lot of uncertainty in my heart. Like, man, like, I don't know what the future holds here. And so it can be very easy to get in, into survival mode and just to hold on to things. Um, but man, God wants us to move out of that. God wants us to recapture the heart of a church plant. Which is that, man, we exist to reach people. So, I want to talk about our core values for just a second. These have been molded and shaped over years and that sort of thing. Um, and they're not really changing. We're just putting language on it that captures what I really would call the heart of a church plant. So, there's four of them uh, just committed to memory. The first one is this man, there's nothing better than being with Jesus. Why do we reach people? Why do we want to reach people at the the end of the day? Man, because there's nothing better than being with Jesus. We meet with Jesus in His Word. We experience His presence as we gather with the church, which, by the way, that's why we gather, because Jesus said "Where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm right there in the middle with them. Um, But man, one of the greatest ways to experience being with Jesus, the presence of God, is you go with Him to people that are far from God. You know why? Because the heart of a good shepherd is always looking for lost sheep always looking for lost sheep. There's nothing better than being with Jesus. Jesus changes everything, and every single one of us has somebody in our life that we want to experience that. The second one is this, is that we're all a work in progress. You say, why does that matter? Because, guys, when we were first starting, we had this understanding of, man, there are no perfect people allowed. We're not perfect people who've arrived. We're just imperfect people who love Jesus and are being changed by Jesus. Guys, we have to understand that if we're going to have a heart that is outward. Because sometimes it can be very easy to think, after you've been following Jesus for a certain amount of years, that, man, I've got it. I'm good. I'm great. No, guys, listen, on this side of eternity, we never arrive. We never arrive. And it is so important to have this heart because if we don't have this heart that, man, we're all a work in progress, we will be very judgmental to people outside. We'll be very closed off to people outside because we'll think we've arrived and we've got the answer. No, we're not perfect people who have arrived. We are imperfect people who love Jesus and are being changed by Jesus. And that actually gives us the honesty to go to people and say, hey, man, I'm not perfect. I'm following Jesus. He's doing some things in me. I just want for you what he's done in me. And it's a process. It's a process. The third one is this. It's that we're at our best together. Why do we want to invite people in? Because our best life is the one experienced in authentic community with each other. When we get past the southern pleasantries of how are you doing, and nobody really wants to know how you're doing, right? Like next time somebody asks you that at the restaurant, like, like today, when they ask how are you doing, try telling them how you're actually doing and watch the stare that you get. <laughs> They'll be like... Oh, man, I didn't... You know, I think my shift might be ending. (laughs) Let me pass on this person to somebody else. We're at our best together. What does this mean? It means, first off, man, we don't want to just reach people and get them in a seat. It means we actually care about them. It means we want to develop relationship with them. By the way, it means we want to develop relationship outside the walls with people who don't know Christ. And then we want to be together and we want to serve together to reach more people for Christ. We're at our best together. We can't do this thing alone. This is the heart of a church plant, man, because the reality is Lifespring doesn't move forward because Pastor Mark or Pastor David or Pastor Dylan wants it to. It happens when we all have our hearts set on fire for the mission of God and we all move outside of ourselves to reach people which leads to the last core value that the mission moves us beyond us. I'm all for family here, guys, and God has called us to be a family. I'm all for relationships. We should have deep, authentic, healthy relationships within the body of Christ. But man, the mission of God should always lead us to export that outside the walls to people far from God, invite them to be a part of our family, and and, and continue to move outside of us. This moves us to serve our community. This moves us to share the gospel. It moves us to invite people. You know what else it moves us to do? It moves us to plant churches. That's why we invest in church plants. That's why I'm super excited. I shared with our volunteers this morning, um, Sean, our drummer and our our interim encounter director, he's, he's actually now stepped into being a church planting resident, which means in the next 12 to 18 months, guys, we're going to plant a church. And that's exciting. Yeah, somebody clap. We can clap for that. We can definitely clap for that. We've said since day one that we didn't want to just start a church. We wanted to be a church that started churches. And, man, that's actually going to be reality here in the next 12 to 18 months. He's going to be talking to some of you guys. And I just say, man, just be open to whatever God wants you to do. Just be open. Because the mission moves us beyond us. And it moves us out into the world. It moves us into reaching people. And it actually keeps us moving forward even when it gets hard, guys, because the simple reality is this. um, Man, it'll get hard. The last two and a half years have been tough. If you get serious about reaching people in your own life, man, it'll be challenging. But Paul writes this back in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3, he says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited Credited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, watch this, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. That doesn't sound fun, does it? Now, granted, a lot of us are never going to experience exactly that, but I can promise you, having been in this thing for, for for almost six years and been in ministry for over a decade, man, when you commit your way to reaching people, it doesn't get easier. And so I like, I'm not up here to be a salesman and sugarcoat it like it's gonna be super easy. Guys, it's challenging. But it's exactly what God calls us to do, and he calls us to do it in great character, dependent on the Holy Spirit, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, watch this, and in the power of God. It'll be difficult, guys, but when you set your path to this, when we set our minds and hearts on this, guess what? God's power starts to work in us and through us to impact people and change lives. With weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, we don't fight as the world does. Through glory and dishonor, through bad report and good report, genuine and yet regarded as impostors, known and yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's challenging. But God calls us to keep going. Why? Three reasons I'll give them to you and then we are done. The first one is this. Even though pursuing people is painful, the payoff is eternal. Even though pursuing people is painful, the payoff is eternal. How many of you know you've got to take risks if you want something good? We recognize that. I, I learned this in, um, in, in, in finding a wife. So uh, my wife and I met on Facebook. She friend requested me because she thought I looked cute. I'm not sure she would have friend requested me if she found out how dorky I was. But, you know, she stuck with me and that sort of thing. But um, the first time I met her in person, I was living in Wilmington. She was in Maryland as a summer missionary. And I was like, I'm going to drive up to see you. And this is like a 15-hour round trip, and I got to see her for a grand total of like six hours. 15-hour round trip. There was risk in that because I might have wasted a whole bunch of gas and a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of time just to have my heart stepped on. And yet now we're married and have two kids, to the glory of God. (laughs) Had to take risks. Guys, it's always risky pursuing people. They might ghost you if you text them like, hey, I've been thinking about you. I'd love to invite you to church. I know I hadn't seen you in a while. In fact, there's a couple right now that, just full disclosure, um, man, over the last two years, I, I don't know how many times I've done that, but I never get a response. And, and, and these, this was actually some folks that we were actually really close with at one time. And so it really, it really kind of wrecks my heart. And And I'm I'm, I'm honestly so close to being at the point of, like, I've gotten actually multiple times. Let me just be honest. I've gotten multiple times at the point to where we have a message like this. We have a series coming up. It's like, I'm not going to do that again just because, A, they've ghosted me. I don't know what the dude's deal is. Maybe he just don't like me no more. And I'm just really kind of scared of just getting a really nasty text message back full of profanity. I don't know. Um, But God reminds me, no, pursuing people is painful, but the payoff is eternal. And don't ever say no for somebody. Because it could just be one more text message, it could just be one more call, it could just be one more invitation. And that's the door that God opens for them to meet Him and have their lives changed. Paul talks about this a little bit back in the previous chapter in 2 Corinthians 4. Starting in verse 13, he says, It's written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. If I really believe the gospel, that will not keep me quiet. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We don't focus on the rejection. We don't focus on the pain. We don't focus on the hurt that can come from this. We focus on the fact that there is an eternal reality. Heaven or hell. The difference is whether or not they follow Christ. And God has put us in their path together. Him there, pursuing people is painful, guys, but the payoff is eternal. The second thing is this: even though we cannot decide for people, we can not create an opportunity. I can't make somebody follow Jesus, and you can't make somebody follow Jesus. So I just want to take all the pressure off. Like you ain't got to go convert the cashier at Walmart. Yeah, like you don't have to do that. But what God does call us to do is extend opportunities. I, I'll give you an example um, my toddler's in the process of potty training you say this again yes but there's so many great examples I just wish you lived my life um, I, you know. And by the way he's doing great with number one anyway um, but you know what I can't make him pee pee in the potty but you know what I can do I can put the potty in his room and say if you need to do this go to the potty and guess what he's finally started to pick up on it yay for fewer diapers right that's awesome that's awesome I can't say no for him. You know what I can do? I can create an opportunity. And that's all God calls us to do, guys. John chapter 1 says this. Um, This is such a great example of it. It says, Andrew Simon's Peter brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He didn't try to convert him. He just brought him. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked. He's skeptical. Very skeptical. Come and see, Philip said. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. All Philip did was create an opportunity. That's all he did. So Nathaniel was skeptical. Nathaniel was like, I don't buy that. That's ridiculous. All he said was come and see. Guys, that's the point behind tale Faith and Welcome Home Sunday on September 18th. All we're doing is creating an opportunity. That's all we're doing. And every single one of us knows somebody that is close to us but far from God, and God just wants us to create an opportunity. And so often a single invitation from somebody to come to church, that'll change your life. So who is it in your life? That's the question. Who is it in your life then, man, you need to get them here. And then the question comes up, well, man, what if I've tried? And I get that, guys. I've I've been there. But here's where I've had to land. Here's where God has just convicted me. The idea is this. Since the Father waited for me, I will wait on and look for other people. Since the Father waited for me, I will wait on and look for other people. People, Because here's the thing that I've had to just be honest in my life. God waited for Dylan Shoup for 21 years. That's how long God waited for me. 21 years. And it took a lot of different opportunities until I finally said yes to Jesus. 21 years, guys. Here's the question I would have. If you're here a Christian, man, how long did God wait on you? How long did God wait on you? For others of you, man, um, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, man. How long has God been waiting on you? Because God is patient. He is so patient. If you're here and you're not a Christian, He wants you to come to Him today. And if you're here and you are a Christian, guys, the heart of the Father is waiting on people. You say, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and it just don't seem to work at all. God calls us to be patient. In fact, Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares a story. Many of you will know this. But it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This is a picture of somebody running from God. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, he's completely broken, he's completely destitute, there's nothing left. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Guys, people far from God are in need. And we have the answer. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Guys, people far from God. Guys, they're hurting. They're broken. They're searching for answers. Guys, we have the answer. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Guys, this is so often what we can tend to think. And maybe you even think this in the room this morning that, Well, man, God would never accept me into his family. But maybe if I do some work for him, he'll bring me back to him. But guys, that's not the heart of the father. In fact, watch this, verse 20 it says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arm around him, and kissed him. Do you want to know why the father saw him, guys? Because the father was out looking. That's why the father saw him when he was a long way off, because every single day the father's going out there, he's looking for his boy. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But watch what the father says. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, listen, God's not interested in making you a servant. He wants you to be his child. And for people far from God, he's not wanting them to be his servant. He's wanting them to be his children, to be a part of the family. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The heart of the father is always looking for people far from God. So here's the question. Who in your life is it that you need to get here in a couple weeks? Starting on September 11th, but man, especially on September 18th, who in your life is that person?